Good morning, church. It is great to be with you um, again. Uh, we are going to jump right in and, and talk about prayer in these upcoming weeks. And uh, I want to start with the question, which is, how many of you wish you prayed more deeply and consistently than you currently do? I can't see <laughs> uh, via Zoom right now, but I, I'm, I'm probably seeing hands being raised um, in our homes and all over the place. Uh, as I think about prayer, this question comes to mind. Is there an activity that is more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer? We all know we should pray. We want to pray more, at least we want to want to pray more. We admire those who pray. We admire the prayer warriors among us who seem to have a deep connection with God. But when it comes to actually praying, many of us feel like a failure. If you're asked, how is your prayer life these days? I think many of us would struggle answering that. Uh, somebody said this, which I think perfectly captures it. He said, how can something I am so bad at be God's will for my life? I'm sure you could relate as we think about prayer. So I'm going to get a bit vulnerable here, okay? You guys, this wouldn't surprise you because this is your pastor. So, so here's how much I personally struggle with praying, okay? I find it way easier to preach for 45 minutes than to pray for 45 minutes. Um, I have never fallen asleep while preaching. You know where I'm going with this, right? Uh, I have, uh, more than occasions than I like to admit, fallen asleep while praying. Uh, this might surprise some of you, but I almost never lose my train of thought when I'm preaching. But I often lose my train of thought when I'm praying. I personally find, you guys, praying way more difficult than preaching. If I'm honest, my prayer life has been more intermittent than persistent. To use a, 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 an analogy or picture in the Gospels, there have been times when I've gotten hold of the hem of the garment, but I haven't been able to sustain the grasp. When I read the Gospels, I see how crucial prayer was to the life and ministry of Jesus, right? For us, prayer is often preparation for the battle. For Jesus, prayer was the battle itself. But today, prayer is a huge hole in the canvas of Christianity. The great temptation for us today is that we could actually do the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. We've created a host of means and methods of doing ministry in the church today that require little, if any at all, help from the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to fast or pray for the church to grow. We have marketing for that. We don't have to fast and pray for the people to come. We have publicity for that. It is actually possible for us to do ministry 
to do God's work and be perceived as successful, and the Holy Spirit can be utterly absent from all that we're doing. I believe that the greatest hindrance of the gospel these days is not the self-indulgent immorality of our culture, but the self-sufficient mentality of the people of God in the church. It's us attempting to do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God. What's so sobering, though, is that when you read Acts and you look at the early church that turned their world upside down, it was a praying church. Now, just to be clear, a praying church is not a church that talks about prayer. It's not a church that studies the Bible about prayer. A praying church is not a church that just has prayer meetings or a handful of praying warriors in its midst. Praying church, hello, is a church that actually prays intentionally, persistently, strategically, because its people are convinced that prayer is the God-given method in which God brings about a mighty, powerful move of the Spirit to accomplish that only which God could accomplish in and through us. So as we begin to think about what I think will be one of the most critical for such a time as this sermon series that I'll ever preach, let me mention a couple introductory sort of remarks. Um, I've read a ton of books on prayer, as maybe some of you have. And here's what I found. I found that unrelenting pounding on the will, it doesn't work or motivate us to pray more, does it? Books that talk about you should pray, and you ought to pray, and you should pray, and you ought to pray, may stir us up at first and motivation to pray, but it leaves in its wake more guilt does it not, than prayer. And while there might be short seasons of success, to hear you ought and you should, it leads to this low-grade sort of guilt. And listen, I have no intentions <laughs> to guilt you into praying because it will not be sustainable. Now, I'm one of those people. See, most people think that lack of discipline is the issue when it comes to prayer. I don't think so. I don't think the lack of discipline is this issue because I see people who might be the most undisciplined when it comes to prayer, hello, be incredibly disciplined, make all kinds of sacrifices for things that matter to them. I don't think we struggle with prayer because of discipline. We struggle with prayer, this is where we're going, because we often don't understand prayer. I'll give you a couple examples in a little bit. We don't understand prayer, which is the reason why Jesus taught us what prayer is and how to pray. Um, the core of this series will be the Lord's Prayer. That's why the sermon series teaches us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is found in two Gospels. Uh, there's Luke chapter 11 and Matthew 6. And we are going to be mostly parked in Matthew chapter 6. Okay? But, but, but let, me, let me just give a couple, couple uh, insights up front when I talk about we don't understand prayer. We don't understand that prayer is difficult because it's spiritual warfare. Prayer, you get this, is difficult because it's spiritual warfare. And those of you that went through the sermon series last fall, all of a sudden you should remember our unseen battle series and what we talked about. 
We talked about our prayers, the God-ordained means by which God, what, releases his supernatural power for us to push back the forces of darkness. David Wells, a famous theologian, said that prayer is rebelling against the status quo. Prayer unleashes assault in the heavenly so that bondage is broken, strongholds are torn down, habits are discarded, walls between believers are torn down, and relationships are restored. Prayer is the God-given means by which we invade kingdom territory, the kingdom of darkness, and wreak havoc on the enemy's desire to kill, steal, and destroy. So if there's a scheme from the enemy, it's to keep us from what? praying. This is why prayer is so difficult and so hard, church. Satan knows that intercessory prayer is our most powerful and strategic weapon in spiritual warfare. So he is going to do everything that he can to keep you and me from praying. It's not just that you're easily distracted. It's not just that you're too busy. It's not just that you're too, or you're not disciplined enough. There is a reason why most of us don't pray or struggle with prayer. You have an enemy who is doing everything that he can to keep you from praying. See, I thought about this. Did you realize, we don't realize the magnitude of what it is that God has given us in prayer. Do you realize that our prayer affects the way God acts in the world? Do you realize that our prayers can actually change the course of history? Just think about that. That there's a connection between our prayers and the unleashing of God's supernatural powers that directly impact what happens on earth. I mean, God, the fact that God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes in the world, his name will be hallowed, his kingdom will come, and his will will be done on earth and it not happen. All in response to our prayer. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Prayer is difficult because it's spiritual warfare. But here's another way in which we don't understand prayer. Prayer is difficult because it's learned. Prayer is difficult because it's learned. What do I mean? Prayer is important, but you know this, it's neither is easy nor natural. Prayer is important, but it's neither easy nor natural. What do I mean? Well, so the Lord's Prayer in Luke's version is found in Luke chapter 11. And here's what we find in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Now, at this point, the disciples had been with Jesus for about two years. Now, I want you to think for a moment about everything that they saw Jesus do. Everything they've seen Jesus do in the two years with them. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They had a front row seat to that. 
okay? They, they, they saw Jesus calm the raging seas with a simple command. They were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. They were there when he healed the sick, when he opened the eyes of the blind and cast out demons, front row seats, all of that. But in the Gospels, at no point do we ever see any of the disciples asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to do that? And yet, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And watching the rhythm of Jesus' life, they saw that his prayerfulness was tied to his power in such a way that if they could learn to pray like Jesus did, that they could also walk in power like Jesus did. Church, if you and I want to walk in power as Jesus did, and it is possible, then we too need to learn how to pray like Jesus did. This was the key to Jesus' life. So the disciples come and ask him, hey Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, remember who the disciples are, will you, for a second? You guys remember that these are Jewish men, which means this, that ever since they could walk and talk, they were taught the value and the importance of prayer. You need to understand that they're, they're coming from a culture in which prayer is foundational to every God-fearing Jew. They're coming from a culture in which it was regular for them to pray three times a day and for there to be regular corporate prayer gatherings in the synagogues. Prayer is all around them. It was woven into the very fabric of their life. But they, hello, struggled with prayer. And to their request, do you notice Jesus doesn't say, what do you mean teach you? You should know how to pray. No, what does he do? He's not surprised that they asked. I need to think about this. It's almost like he expected them to ask, and his answer and response is what? Sure, I'll teach you how to pray. So word of encouragement and challenge. Encouragement is this. If you're somebody who struggles with prayer, isn't this encouraging? If you're someone who feels unspiritual because you can't pray well or don't know how to pray, this is so encouraging for us, right? Jesus saying, I'll teach you. Let's learn together. But there's also a word of challenge, and that is this. You and I could read all the books on prayer, listen to sermons on prayer, listen to other people pray, but until you actually begin to pray yourself, you will never understand prayer. It's like riding a bicycle or swimming. You learn prayer by doing it. Okay? You learn prayer by doing it, which means you have to put in the time. Am I talking to anybody this morning who's frustrated 
because your prayer life just hasn't taken off. Question is, have you taken the time? Have you worked at it? Remember, prayer is neither easy nor natural when it comes to prayer. So do you put in daily time to enroll in the school of prayer? I'm so excited that we are launching a 30-day prayer challenge, okay? And here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge you to daily commit. Doesn't have to be long. Daily commit to praying for those 30 days and see what happens to your prayer life. The key to prayer, the challenge, is simply praying. Got to do it. Got to do it, okay? All right. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, dig into Matthew chapter 6, okay? We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of lay a foundation for, for the Lord's Prayer because Jesus lays a foundation for the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of lay a foundation, Matthew chapter 6, and then starting next week, we will actually dig into the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 is where we are. And when you pray... I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there, okay? This part of Jesus, this part of Jesus' teaching is, is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this section in the Sermon on the Mount covers three foundational acts of Jewish piety, okay? What do I mean? In verses 1 through 4, Jesus talks about radical generosity, almsgiving. And then secondly, he talks about prayer, which we're going to look at from verses 5 to 15. And then he talks about fasting from verses 16 to 18. These are what you and I would call the spiritual disciplines today, okay, for a Jewish believer. Now, when we come to verse 5, Jesus has just talked about in verses 1 to 4, are giving radically generous to the poor and acts of what he calls righteousness that is our engagement with the needs of the world. Then when we come to verse 5, which we just read, Jesus says, and when you pray. Now, if you and I have a conversation and I say, and, it usually means what? That what I have said before is somehow tied to what I am about to say. This is important. Jesus is not saying here in verse 5, hey, hey, I've talked about giving radically to the poor and how my believers engage in ministries of righteousness and justice. But you know what? Let's change the subject. It's time to talk about prayer. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is huge. Prayer for Jesus is not a standalone thing. It's connected to what? Prayer and mission are intimately connected. Let me say that again. Prayer and mission are intimately connected. Jesus doesn't pit serving against praying or praying against activism. It's not, hey, all we need to do is pray or, oh, who has time for prayer? Let's do something. They can't happen without the other is what Jesus is saying. There are two implications of this real quick, okay? The first is this. If you're really praying, then your prayer life will drive you out to mission. If you're praying, Christian, it will drive you out to meet the needs of the world. Prayer, worship leads 
to mission. In Jesus' mind, it is people who are characterized by this deep inner life of prayer. It's them whose lives will be most characterized by radical generosity to the poor and the most courageous, sacrificial engagement with the needs of the world. Jesus says, if you're communing with your Father in deep intimacy through prayer, your life will be one of radical generosity and courageous justice. Now, you go, why? Well, we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. In prayer, we catch a glimpse of God's heartbeat and his purposes for the world. In prayer, Check this out. We catch a glimpse of God's heartbeat and purposes for the world. And not only that, but in prayer, we begin to align our will to his. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want. And we'll talk about more of this. The primary purpose of prayer, listen church, is to get us to a place where we're saying, Father, what's on your heart? Father, what would you like to see happen? Father, what's on your agenda for today? What's your priority for today? Prayer aligns us. That's why Jesus, what? When you begin praying, say what? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Do you understand that? That in communion with the Father, you begin to catch a glimpse of a heart of a God who says, I am the defender of the poor. You catch a glimpse of his heart that says, I am a God who loves justice. And I am at work in putting the world back together. And I am looking for men and women whose hearts will be aligned with mine. You see how prayer leads to mission. But, but, also, if you want to be really effective out there, it has to come from within. Effective mission can only flow out of prayer. It is impossible to do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. You cannot give what you don't have. Some of you are involved in mission, all kinds of good kingdom work, but you're not effective. You're bitter. You're angry, you're arrogant and self-righteous or burned out. Your heart, Christian, your heart needs to daily be anchored in the truth of the God who says, I love you, I am for you, I am with you, I accept you, I delight in you. And that anchoring of our soul happens in communion, deep communion with the Father where you hear the voice of your Heavenly Father reminding you who you are. Reminding you who you are. And claiming that identity. I am His son. I am His daughter. Again and again and again and again. Mission has to flow out. Prayer. Let's keep going. Chapters, chapters, verse 5. And when you pray, I promise I'm not going to stop at every word, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to be here forever. <laughs> and when 
<laughs> Why do I, just quick, Jesus assumes, doesn't he, that we would pray? Not if, and if you pray. He says, and when? And by the way, in verse 6, 7, and 9, he also says, when? Prayer is just a given for Jesus. Prayer isn't something in Jesus' mind for the super spiritual, really good. Prayer, Jesus, is for everyone who's a true follower of Jesus. So let me ask you a question real quick before I move on, okay? With everything that's going on in our world today, what is your first instinct? Outrage? Social media? I'm going to blog. My first thing, I'm going to defend myself, others. Or Christian is your first instinct to get on your knees and pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stay, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Give me, just real quick, real quick, okay? Christians get under, uh, confused about what hypocrisy is. So let me just say a couple comments here. Hypocrites are people who pretend to profess one thing but actually live a completely different way. Hypocrites. Specifically, their pretense is for applause and for esteem. That is, I want people to think better of me than I actually am. That's hypocrisy. But here's how we Christians confuse hypocrisy. Christians sometimes think that hypocrisy is doing one thing while feeling another. That's not hypocrisy. Let me give you an example. When you come to church, but you don't feel like it, that's not hypocrisy. It's faithfulness. When you, don't, when you do the right thing in your marriage, even though you don't feel in love, that's called fidelity. You see why I'm spending some time on this? I hear Christians say stuff like, I'd be a hypocrite to stay in this marriage because I'm not in love anymore. I'd be a hypocrite if I come to worship when I don't feel like worshiping. Or I'd be a hypocrite if I pray when I don't feel like God is close. Or I'd be a hypocrite if I give even though I don't feel like giving. By the way, God loves a cheerful giver, so give until you feel happy. Okay? <laughs> Doing the right thing when you don't feel like doing the right thing, it's not hypocrisy, it's called maturity. Let me say that again. Doing the right thing, when you don't feel like it, it's not hypocrisy, it's called maturity. Some of us need to grow up and stop using, I don't want to be a hypocrite, as an excuse to do what's right. Sidebar over. What Jesus is getting at here in verse 5, listen, is Jesus getting to that tendency in all of us, oh, this is so ugly, that wants to impress people with how spiritual we are. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's in me. It's in me. It's in you. And Jesus says one of the ways that we tend to do this is what? Through praying. 
Jesus wants to make sure that you and I are praying for the right reasons from the right heart. Matter of fact, this is Jesus' central concern in all three acts of piety here, giving, prayer, and fasting. He says, when you give to the poor, hey, don't make a big deal out of it, okay? And when you, when you fast, don't draw attention to yourself. Jesus understands the pride and vanity that dwells in all of us. And then, and then Jesus gives what I think is a devastating principle. Look at this. Jesus, verse 5, goes on. He says, So truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. You know what the principle is? Jesus saying, when you pray to impress people, and people go, whoa, wow, you're so spiritual. Wow, that's an amazing prayer. Jesus is literally saying that right there, their wow, that's your reward. Your reward is not answered prayer. Your reward is their wow. I'm so impressed. Jesus, who are you trying to impress anyway? Certainly not your heavenly father. Like I said, this is in me. It's in you. For those of us who do ministry or leaders, may God, may God, may God convict our hearts that we would take this thing in us and crucify it on the cross. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus, what's the remedy for this temptation to want to impress people with how spiritual we are? He says, start in the prayer closet before you go public. Start in the prayer closet before you go public. Start at the place where you won't be distracted to impress people. Start at the place where you will get the right motivation and the right heart to pray. Praying with people is a wonderful thing, church but it has to start in the prayer closet. Do you realize here, this is so convicting for me, you realize that Jesus is saying that the true litmus test of your spiritual maturity is your prayer life? It's not evangelism. It's not even working for uh, justice and helping the poor. Why is this a true litmus test, prayer for a spiritual life? It's not what you think. Jesus says, Prayer, uh, 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 like evangelism, evangelism, work for justice. He's saying those are great things that you can do to be seen. You can do these things motivated by the wrong desire for approval, for recognition. But Jesus says when you pray in secret, it's the one thing that you do that nobody else sees. Prayer in secret is the one thing that you do just for your Heavenly Father, not for anybody else. See why Jesus says, that's a litmus test of your maturity. Everything else the temptation is there to do for the wrong motives, wrong intentions. Jesus says, but prayer, your prayer, secret prayer, the only thing you do for one set of eyes, your Father. Verse 7. Verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling, the literally is idle or useless like pagans, for they think they will be heard or taken seriously because of their many words. So let me just get real practical, because there's going to be some practical things that we will talk about in prayer. Here's a practical application. God does not have a word meter when it comes to prayer. Okay? Is that good news to anybody? Sometimes I think some of us think that the more words we could pack into a prayer, the better it is. I'm going to get to this in the next two, three weeks. For most of us, the biggest growth area in our prayer life is not talking more. It's listening more. It's not talking more. It's listening more. God isn't moved by the volume, the quantity, or the quality of your words. Jesus is saying, if you think your father is motivated by all the external stuff, then you don't understand prayer, nor the heart of your father. I, I love this quote by Brother Lawrence who wrote the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. He says, we ought to act with the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly and imploring his assistance in our affairs, just as they happen. The principle is this. Pray what you got and make it plain. Isn't that wonderful? Pray what you got and make it plain. Simple prayers that are genuine are always heard over impressive prayers devoid of authenticity and transparency. He's way more concerned about what's going on inside your heart. Okay? You know what moves God? Years ago, there was a woman who would come up and we, we normally pray together, a worship team and a bunch of people before the worship service on Sunday, right? And she was, she was not part of the worship team ministry, but she made sure that she joined that every Sunday, right? And she'd come up, and we'd all hold our hands, we'd pray. And, and, and I, knew, <laughs> I knew her prayer because it was the same thing. Her prayer would be simply this. She'd say, good morning, Lord. Pray that you would meet us today. Amen. But Pastor Peter, she didn't use any big theological words. Do you use big theological words when you talk to your dad? But that was a very simple prayer. Our Father is a very good listening God. And he just said it? Yeah. And her Heavenly Father heard it. Simple prayers from the right heart is what your heavenly Father is looking for. Now, verse 8. I want to end with this. Verse 8. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Just real quick. I'm, I'm having fun with you guys this morning. You guys know people that pray information prayers to God? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? God, there's this guy at work. His name is Bill, and he's such a jerk. <laughs> God, God's going, wait, who's Bill again? Bill, Bill. God's going, I know Bill, right? I created Bill. I know your situation. I know everything about him. Our father does need information about where we're at and what we're up against. David says in Psalms, before even a word is on my tongue, what? You know it completely. God knows what we're even thinking about. Hello, before we even ask him. So inevitably, and this is why I'm ending on this, the question asked by many Christians, well, if God already knows what I need, then why 
Do I bother praying? The fact that so many Christians ask this is evidence that we have completely missed the point of prayer. We've been conditioned to think that asking God for things is the end all and be all of prayer. We live in a culture where once, literally when we're done asking God for things, it's sort of like, oh, I'm, I don't know what else to pray about. It's like well, once we're done going down our wish list, we're at a loss for what to do. Prayer is not simply the process of giving to God our wish list. Hello? God is not an ATM machine. Listen to some of our ATM prayers, right? God, bless me, be with me. Watch over me, protect me, forgive me. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Nothing wrong with those prayers, as we'll see. But if they dominate our prayer time with God, then we've moved from what prayer was intended to be. The point of prayer is not to get God to give you things. And if you think that is the main point of prayer, here's the irony, you will get very little. If you think the point of God is to give you things, you will actually get very little. And can we just be honest this morning? This whole sermon series. Isn't this why some of you stop praying? Because you ask God for things. And they're important things, critical things. And God didn't answer your prayer, your way, your time. And since you didn't get what you prayed for, you just quit praying. But what if, what if, what if that wasn't the point of prayer? Well, what is the point of prayer then? So here's where we're going, right? The Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 10, right before the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 10 ends with the story of Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 10, where Jesus says to what? Martha, Martha, Mary has found the one thing necessary. There's only one thing you need. Everything else is negotiable. Martha, you don't need all this other stuff. If you have this and everything else is secondary, the one thing Jesus says to Martha is what? Sit at my feet and listen to every word. Then the Lord's prayer in Luke 11. Here's how I want to end. Here's the principle that you and I need to anchor ourselves in. Okay? I'm going to say it two different ways. Prayer is not about requests, but about relationship. Prayer is not about requests, but relationship. And we'll pick up on this next week. But notice what Jesus says even in verse 8. He says what? Your father. And we just skip right that part. Your father. He goes, knows what you need. Your father. Throughout this passage, Jesus says four times, your father, your father, your father, your father. And then when he gets to the Lord's prayer, he says, here's how I want you to begin the prayer. What? Our father. And in those two words, Jesus unlocked for us the true meaning of prayer. More than petitions and requests, our God longs for a relationship, child of God, with you in prayer. Prayer is a means of pursuing a relationship with our Heavenly Father where we get to, not have to, I don't have to love my wife. I get to love my wife. We get to, not have to, we get to spend time with the God of the universe and catch a glimpse of his heartbeat and his kingdom purposes for the world. Do you understand that? And you know what happens when this paradigm shifts? 
in regards to prayer, we realize that prayer itself is its own reward. Communing with our Heavenly Father itself becomes the prize. The reward for prayer becomes the joy of being with Him. The blessing of being able to call Him, oh my goodness, Abba, Dad. The wonder of, even though we say, God, I am madly in love with you. The creator of the universe says to you, I am madly in love with you. We realize that the reward for prayer is prayer itself, the privilege of communing with our Heavenly Father. We come to a place where we look forward to praying through the good and the bad, through sadness and joy when we're on, spiritually when we're off, not because we get stuff, but because we get God. So another way to say this is prayer is not about getting things from God, but getting God. Prayer is not about getting things from God, but it's getting God. We pray, church, because we want God. We pray because we want Him. That's why the first part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. The first half has absolutely nothing to do with my daily bread, my guilt, my anger towards people, or the strength that I need to face daily challenges. The first thing that I do in prayer, I'm noticing my Father. I'm delighting in my Father. I am rejoicing in my Father. I am adoring my Father. I am treasuring my Father. Jesus teaching us that before you ask God for things, ask for God. The whole purpose of prayer it's not the supplying of our endless needs, but our greatest need, and that is of himself. We pray because we want God. Prayer of David, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Read Psalm 27. There are enemies that have surrounded him. His life is in danger. But David, with all the stuff that's going on, doesn't ask for safety first, protection first, success first. There's only one thing, David says, and that is, I want more of you. That's my prayer. I want more of you. As a deer pants for the streams of waters, so my soul longs after you. I want you, God. I want to know you more. I want to be satisfied by you more than bread, more than water, more than oxygen. I want to experience you. We pray because we want God. I want to see his face. I want to get to know him. Let me end with this in Exodus 33. Moses says, God, if your presence will not go with us to the promised land, don't send us up from here. Moses, God, the promised land is not even worth it if you will not go with us. And by the way, amazingly, what does God say? God says what? My presence, Moses, will go with you and I will give you rest. But Moses wasn't done with God. Because in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, 
Do you remember what he said? Then Moses said, God, now show me your glory. I told you I'm going to go up to the promised land with you. I know. I told you I'm going to give you rest. I know, but God, 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 show me your glory. Think about who's making this request. If there's a human being on the planet who knew the glory of God, it was Moses. And yet Moses says, has the audacity to say, God, here's what I want. I want to see your glory. Something about the glory of God, you need to get this, that once you taste it, you want more of it. More of it. More of it. We pray because we want We're going to pick up on this next Sunday. So bow your heads and pray with me. Bow your heads and pray with me, church. In this moment, I won't pray long. I want to give you a moment to think about that question that I asked at the very beginning of the sermon, which is how is your prayer life? Do you have one? Is it intermittent? Perhaps for some of us, it's on and you are delighting in him and rejoicing in him. And I celebrate that. I celebrate that. And for those of us for whom that question, how is your prayer life? A question that we struggle answering. In these next moments, can I just practicing what we talked about, just make it plain. Pray what you got. God, I'm tired. That's a powerful prayer. God, I want to know you more. That's a powerful prayer. God, show me your glory. It's a powerful prayer. God, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. That's a powerful prayer. Pray what you got. Pray what you got. Pray with me, church. Father, we want more of you. We do. As the psalmist said, as a deer pants for the waters, so my soul longs after you. God, give us a hunger for you. A thirst for you. We want to know you more. We want to see you, God. We want to see you. We pray as Moses said, God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. 
And God, will you empty us and strip us of anything or anyone that stands in the way of being filled by you, Spirit of God? And teach us how to pray in these upcoming weeks. Grant us faith to believe that you see us and that you hear the cries of your children. Remind us of your truth, God, that you are for us and that you love us. And that we can, because of your son Jesus, approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will find help in times of need. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.